Welcome home. You're listening to the Life Center Rainier Weekend Message. Isn't it beautiful once you realize how truly loved you are by God? And I say things, maybe you've said these things similarly, but I say things like, when I found Jesus. But the truth is, is that none of us found Jesus. Jesus found us. (laughs) And we're going to lean into the love that ultimately ran us down and brought us to a place that lavishly covered us in extravagant care that didn't leave us where we were, but brought us to a place where we continue to learn and grow in his grace. Amen? You know there's no experts in the presence of God. We're all just beginners. So the question is, is do you know too much to learn anything? Is that offensive? (laughs) It was supposed to be a little invasive, but not necessarily like obtrusive. But I think we have to ask ourselves the question, like are we... Are we able to learn, in, in, in this new collection of conversations, this sermon series called Loveology, it's just that, that we would learn fresh and anew what it means to love God's way, to know what the true love of this world ultimately derives from, and how it continues to move forward in this life. The title of my talk today is, if your note taker is, Crazy little thing called love. You gotta be cool. <laughs> Take a back seat, hitchhike. On my motorbike, cause I'm ready. Crazy little thing called love. That's the only part I really know. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Tip your waiters. If you're looking for an alternative title, my other title that I considered in this contemplation was, What is love? (laughs) Lady, don't hurt me. I just didn't want to break out my driver's side window as I went home this afternoon. (laughs) Come on, any night of the Roxbury people? (laughs) Don't judge me. But this overview for loveology is understanding that we live in a, a, a world and a day where the word love is, is fluent, but the, the lack of definition is the problem, right? We have, we have this anemic definition that really lacks vigor and vitality and, and ultimately the power of God. It becomes listless and weak. And we're going to go into a letter written by John in 1 John. We'll be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. So if you want to put your finger there for a moment, or if you didn't bring your Bible, we got the Bible in the sky. Also on the app, you can follow along in the message. We've got notes and outlines, and it'll have all the scriptures there as well. But John is giving us clarity of instruction here. In his letter, we read the incredible words of, of truly what love is and where it comes from and why it matters. And if anyone should be fluent in this love, it should be the followers of Jesus, amen? And, and it's that we receive it, but we also get to distribute it. God has a perfect plan, and the plan encompasses his people. How many of you were here last week? Anybody? You still got your Legos? Lego. Lego my ego. And... And we talked about how we're all made distinct, unique from different backgrounds, different shapes, 
sizes, practices, backgrounds, ethnicities, communities, exposures, but yet we all have the distinct difference of expression in God's creation, but yet he's made us all to connect together. And we talked about this in, uh, uh, in, in the book of um, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, and then it concluded and it goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he says at the end of 12, he says, there's the most excellent way. And then he goes into love. And we don't go into the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because a couple thousand years ago, they knew they're going to need something to read at weddings. No, no, no. This, this portion of scripture is congruent in the conversation where he's talking about spiritual gifts and what they're for and who they're for and how they play into practice. And that the love of God should be the greatest weapon that this world knows. And so he's equipping us for the call and giving us clear context of the definition of what love is. What is love? That's going to haunt you. <laughs> but love is such an interesting word in our culture. We say things like, I love my Skechers. Come on, how many of you love Skechers? <laughs> no, two of you. I don't have any Skechers. <laughs> you wouldn't see me dead in Skechers. <laughs> but I hear they're comfy. But we say, I love, I love tangible things, but then we also talk about our spouse and use the same word and, and, and listlessly use it. I don't know if you've ever found yourself welling up with emotions at the, the beginning of, of an encounter and a relationship and, and everything that you're so excited about. I remember when I asked my, my now wife to date me, it was exciting. The day before, I, I just, I wanted to marry her, but I, I thought she might think that's weird if I tell her that right now. So I waited until we were officially dating, and the next day I said, I love you. And she said, thanks? And I thought to myself, I'm going to go home and cry myself to sleep and listen to One Direction. <laughs> See, the problem is, is that we, we, we base this love on emotion, but God's love far surpasses emotion. This is a commitment that this world has never seen. And his love is the power that will produce in each and every one of us. And love is such this interesting thing in our culture. We love this and we love that. And because how common the word is, people lose clarity of the definition and the profoundity of how we're supposed to abide in it and continue just to obey him in that. And just the ology element. Ology means simply to study something. So in loveology, we're going to continue to lean in and learn the true definition of love, because God is the originator and he's the definer. And we will not let culture cultivate or dictate the truth of God's word, because that's our, that's ultimate our guide. And the goal in all this is to bring transformation to how we experience and express love and calling people to receive the greatest love made available to all the world. And in this, we will be set free from certain things that we've come to understand by 
poor definitions of love, and then we'll see an empowerment by God's glory with the clarity of how we continue to walk in this love. And can I just say, I love you. And God loves us. But God doesn't love us because we are lovable. It's because he is love. I want to jump into John, 1 John 4, 7. In, in the, the book of 1 John, there's five chapters. This is probably the most commonly known portion. But there's five chapters, quick little book. Within those quick five chapters, 44 times he uses the word love. I can't even get my kids to say I love you back. I'm like, hey, man, I'm leaving. I love you. Yeah, thanks. Right? We, we, we get to the point where we are so emphatic. I remember when first time I told my wife I loved her, I couldn't even just say it passionately enough. I was just like, listen, girl. I felt like I, I went into like LL Cool J mode for a minute. I rolled up one pant leg and I licked my lips. You nasty. <laughs> I love you. Sometimes I'm when I'm alone in the, not, and I just start rapping in my mind. I need love. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Keep it holy, okay? I was like, I love you. And she's like, I know. <laughs> you tell me all the time. I was like, oh, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> the only response that you're looking for when you say I love you is, God bless you. I said it to you guys already once and you blew it the first time. But it comes out emphatically and passionately the first time. Like, I love you. And then as the days go by and the, the realities of this life set in, you go to this different place and it's not so, I love you. It's like, love you. And then it's like, love ya. And then it's like, love, love. And then it turns into like, yeah, me too. Or, okay, see you later. When I tell my kids, I love you. Dad, we know. That's not what I was looking for. Because we have this thing called conditional love. I don't have conditional love. I have children. I have unconditional love. Right? Right? Somebody asked me the other day, which one of your kids are your favorite? I was like, I don't play favorites. But if I did, today, it's based on behavior. And as much as you and I say we don't have conditional loves, our loves in our humanity have conditions. And it's only reciprocal when we believe it'll be receivable. And if it's rejected, then we're not willing to extend it. And love, like we talked about last week, we talked about love, and I talked about this thing called racism. Did you know that February is Black History Month? That we're going to highlight this, we're going to engage this, this is a great conversation. We'll make it congruent in the church culture. I'll reference some different black pastors within this history month. And I talked about love, that the opposite of love 
is not hate, but the opposite of love is fear. And that's the genesis of rejection, birthed in racism. And the reality is, is that your and I's love cannot be pure and holy and be unbiased or, or lack a reality of what you contribute to the conversation. It is based in conditions. But God's love is unconditional. And so we got to lean into the scriptures to understand how this works. Where's the source? Does he give us an example? And how are we supposed to apply this? Okay? Go with me now to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to read this out loud. If you brought your Bible, you get a point. If you brought your phone, that's the phony Bible. That's a half a point. Okay? But just look up on the screen. <laughs> Tablet in the back. That's point three, four, five, seven, niner. Dear friends, other translations say, beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. There's a theological word used there, propitiation. It says as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends or beloved, God so loved us, and we also ought to love one another. In verse 12 no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. If you keep reading right there in that portion of Scripture and jump down a couple lines to verse 19, it says this, we love because he first loved us. That's the only reason we know love. And this crazy little thing called love has clear definitions in the context of God's word, and he will help reveal it to us in how we are to understand who he is and who are we called to be in him. And the way he breaks this down, he helps us by making it pretty practical, and he points to the place we should go first and foremost. If you're a note taker, write this down. This is my first talking point. Number one is this, the source, source. Know the source and receive the sustenance. Again, in 1 John 4, 7, he says, Dear friends, or beloved, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from who? God. From God. And he says, And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Now, he, he, he identifies a couple things here out of the gate. He identifies, one, that, that we are dear friends. We are the beloved of God, right? And then he says, this is what it means to be a child of God. And so let's engage with the beloved part, and we'll get to the, the child of God thing here in just a moment. So when we understand that John is telling us today to love one another, he's saying, here's what we do as these children of God, beloved. And the only way for us to know the source is for us to understand how he sustains. Because dependent upon what you're connected to is what your life will produce. 
right? In, in, in our day and age, more times than not, we look for external means of cleaning up. When God didn't call us to have a cleanup, he came to clean out and take over. He doesn't want just part of our life. He wants the whole kit and caboodle. And, and, and we're in the process of getting facelifts when he's called us to get heart transplants. Don't throw anything at me. Can you tell I've had Botox in my armpit so it helps me stop sweating with this jacket on? I'm just kidding, I haven't, but I'm considering it right now with these lights. And so we, we, we can only get so much when we go to the wrong place. Even as professionals, doctors, one, one might be a plastic surgeon. That's not the place that you want to go for a heart transplant, right? And so when we go to the wrong place and we connect to the wrong source, it can only produce so much. And this person can give you something, but they're not going to give you what matters the most is the heart of God. And when we get caught up in this, we, it's because we're connected to the wrong source, when you're lacking the ability to be sustained in this thing called God's love, it's probably because you're connected to the wrong source. You've, you've taken a wrong definition that this world would offer instead of the definition by God and his power and authority and word, and we've dumbed it down a bit. Again, in this letter, John used the word 44 times. He's like, hey guys, love one another. Just so you know, we're gonna have to love. Love is the key. Love is essential. This is core. This is instrumental. What it means to be beloved is to understand that you're not a living doing, you're a living being. For us to be loved, we have to receive authentic love. But it says that the Father and the Son, right? Two of the eternal Godhead, the triune God is talked about right here, and the Father and the Son, and, and I think some of us are okay with Jesus. Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah, Jesus is just all right. Uh-huh. There's a lot of different song associations through this collection of talks. You're going to hate it or love it. My wife isn't here right now, and she would just look at the floor and shake her head and think, please stop. Hey, Amen. God bless you. I, I know you do. Thanks. <laughs> but when we understand that Jesus is, 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 is the gift that connects us back to the Father, we're okay with Jesus. We love Jesus, but some of us haven't had that great of earthly love from our fathers, and we associate our understanding with the love of the Father with our earthly examples. And because of that, we limit our ability to really learn the love of God. Did you know there's a church over on the I-5 uh, Highway 16 connection point, and there's a sign out there that says, Jesus cares for you. Do you know what it used to say? Jesus loves you. You know, in our context, in our day, they thought nobody's going to hear that. They have to understand that there's something deeper. So they have to engage the conversation first at the primary point is that God cares. 
Before you and I can ever receive the love of God, we have to understand that he cares about us because you can't receive something from someone that you don't know cares about you. And so when the love of God is introduced, we have to be able to receive this. And the Bible says in John 3.16, maybe you'll see someone in an end zone today with a sign. It says John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only King James, the old King James version says, begotten. You get up here and try to read this Greek. It means the only one, profoundly unique, one of a kind, that there's no other son that is the father, and there's no other father that is the son. He says, you and I are one, one and the same. This is different. The English language has no words to translate this type of commitment and connection. But he says, my son was given so that everyone would know the love. Like the black-eyed peas said, where is the love? I'm not going to sing it. Please don't. Next week. <laughs> but when we don't understand the source, it's because we don't understand that this is our sustenance. This is the thing that empowers us by his grace. And for us to abide in it, we have to believe it to receive it. And this word in the Greek culture was a common word. They understood this word. The word is agape. Have you heard that before? It's like escape, like Dory from, you know, Finding Nemo. It's like, Spelt like escape, escape. Now, agape and uh, uh, agapoke are, are two versions of the same word, and it helps us illustrate what this love is. And this love is an attitude and an action. That it's consistent, that there's a way it looks and a way it works. And this love has to operate in attitude and action. And this is how we embody it. When we're connected to the right source, we will be the bearers of the byproduct of the love of God. And when we are not connected to the right source, because we haven't come, because we won't receive from something that we don't know cares for us, there's a disjointed connection, and it will not flow the way that God's created it to, and we will not be able to embody the love of God the way that he's created us to. It says we're the carriers in us, he says. And when we don't carry this love, we can't carry it out the way that he's called us to. But yet this is the love that God has given to us to abide in, to believe. There's a the great apologist on the planet these days. His name is Ravi Zacharias. And he says, where are the atheist hospitals? Where are the Buddhist orphanages. He's saying this godly love is a love that's lived out in word and in deed. That this isn't just kept to conversation. This is congruent in attitude and action. That it looks and works connectedly. That there's consistency in it. But you and I don't see that type of consistency in this world. And when we look to the world to determine the definition of what love is, we will constantly be connected to the wrong source. And because of that, we will not be sustained in this life the way God has called us to be sustained. We will run out of gas because we're running on the world and their definitions of love. But that's not what he's called us to know and abide and believe in. 
He says, I am the source and your sustenance. It goes on and he, he says again, right? Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And children, beautiful children. I remember when I was first dating my wife, I was a little nervous to take her home to my family because everyone in my family thinks they are the funniest person on the planet, not excluding myself. But a lot of my family think it's, it's, it's humor comes at the expense of someone else. You guys got family members like that? Yeah. When I was a kid, we called it capping on each other. <laughs> Roasting. It, 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 it's loving, right? Until somebody gets uh, a little upset about it. And we're like, you want to go outside? Why, you need to smoke? <laughs> I'm going to smoke you. <laughs> Mom, we you smoke a turkey? We're hungry. <laughs> And so I was a little nervous taking her home, and, but I just thought, man, I want to marry this girl. <laughs> she is fine. <laughs> I was so full of emotion. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, I brought her home and introduced her to the family. I was like, yeah, this, this is a crazy so-and-so, and that's cuckoo-coo, and uh, this is silly Billy. And um, I just remember like, leaving. She's like, I was like, how was that? She's like, oh, it was all right. I was like, I love you. <laughs> She's like, I know. <laughs> Playing hard to get. <laughs> so many songs going through my mind right now. <laughs> and <laughs> I just remember her saying, I don't get it. I was like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> what do you not get? She's like, I don't see any of the family resemblance. Like, you don't look like anybody in your family. What's, what's going on here? I was like, are you trying to say that I'm the best looking? <laughs> I mean, you could just come out and say it. She's like, no. I was just trying to say <laughs> that you don't look like anybody in your family. I was like, I know. I've kind of dealt with that. They always joke about me being the adopted one. I'm like, I am in Jesus. We're all adopted. And, and a couple years go by. I remember being at another gathering. And then she goes, wait a minute. I was like, no, you married now, girl. You in. You ain't going nowhere. <laughs> uh-uh. She's like, no, stick your thumb out. Are you, trying to me, are you trying to tell me I need to get a ride home? Are you not happy with something? She's like, no, stick your thumb out. I was like, okay. <laughs> she goes to my dad. Stick your thumb out. Goes to my aunt, stick your thumb out, my grandma, stick your thumb out, my brother, stick We all have the same hitchhiker thumb. She goes, I see it now. <laughs> okay, this all makes sense. I was like, well, I'm more confused now than ever. <laughs> but this is what God is saying to us. That just because distinctly, uniquely, individually, we might look and have the expression of the image of God in a little bit of a different expression and way, he's saying there is a family trait and it's always gonna be love. There was one thing that will distinctly unite us, keep us congruently connected, that will never be questioned. The love of God in our lives will be thorough and powerful. This is the family trait that identifies us as the church, as the bride, as the family of God, as the children of God. Somebody should say amen. This is the example. He gives us clarity to come to this point and say, you need to exude these things. If your love doesn't show it, 
then no one else is going to know it. And then he says, like, and this love is something that you're going to deal with. And it's going to be the best way to put it on display is going to come when people give you problems. Luke 6, 27 through 30 says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. I, I, I don't want to miss that first portion of the gift again. He says, but to you who are listening. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says, I want to catch your attention real quick. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Hold up, Jesus. Nah, uh-uh. JC, listen. You don't understand what they did to me. You know what they were saying about me? If people weren't around and I wasn't saved, Jesus, I would cut them. Excuse me? Them or their tires? What? Either way, let's not cut, okay? Let's cut it out. But here's the thing, Andre, would you join me up here? I need, I need a, a, a strapping young man to come help me. Um, the thing about um, God's love, you better set that down, the sword of the spirit. Come closer, act like you like me. Yeah, thank you. And, 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 and when it comes to this conversation about people that hate you, that are enemies of you, I don't have any enemies, not that you know of, and there's a place called denial, and it's not just a river in Egypt. If you live for Jesus, you're going to have people that despise you. And they're going to bump up against you. Go ahead, bump me, bump me. Yeah, li- wow, okay. Nope, nope, we're going good. Okay, go ahead. And when they bump you, bump, when they bump up against you, dependent upon what you're full of is what's going to come out of you. And the truth is, dang, man, God bless you. Dependent upon what you're full of is what's going to, Fly out of you. Okay, thank you. Please sit down before we need to call an ambulance. And so it's, it matters so much, the source, because that will be our thing that sustains us in the opposition, but it also knows that God says, I'm gonna set an example. I'm gonna show you how this works. It's an attitude and it's an action. And when we get bumped and bruised, it should not limit us in our ability to love because God's love is unconditional. It cannot be dependent upon condition. It cannot be dependent upon the current and the flow of this world. It has to be connected to something deeper. And he says, it'll show. Verse 8, he says, but if anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He's saying if your love doesn't show, it doesn't count. There's an Incredible leader and pastor in years past, Richard Allen in 19, or 1760 through 1831, he was the founder of the African-American Methodist Episcopal Church. And he said, the plain and simple gospel suits best for every person. You know what the core of the gospel is? The love of God. That God loved us so much that he gave his very best. And in the, the face of opposition and oppression, this pioneer 
continued to keep love at the forefront. He continued to keep the conversation congruent with the connection of God and his love and the byproduct to be produced in this life, that he would love the unlovable. Come on, you got some sandpaper people in your life? They just rub you the wrong way? You know, in that friction is what produces the pearls. You got to have this to produce it in us, the true source of connection. Because if you don't have a need for God's love, you will limit your love, knowledge, and ology, and definitions based on what is surface. And you'll take a facelift, and you won't go and get a heart transplant. Got to know the example. It's got to show the attitude and action. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called horse in basketball. Anybody like to play horse? I have never lost in horse. I only play like seventh graders and elderly people. <laughs> but I'm still batting a thousand. And I, I, I would get good. I had like home court advantage. I started getting some good trick shots. So I started working this thing out. And in the game horse, you, I don't know if you know, but you play, um, and, and if you make a shot, the other person shoots and they miss it, they get a letter. And whoever spells the word horse first is out. And we would play, and you get to the point where you get H-O-R-S, and if you miss, when someone made it, you're going to get an E, which means you get out. But the way that we played it and the way that it was originated in heaven is that if you miss, you get to do this thing called prove it. And so anytime I would miss a shot after someone made it and I was on E, I would always make them prove it. And guess what? More times than not, the inconsistency showed up and they weren't able to prove it. And then I'd go to one of my go-to trick shots. I'd be like, pay me my money. No, I'm just kidding. We don't gamble. <laughs> Give me your phone. We were playing for phones. <laughs> but this is what God is saying. When you're connected to the right source, you will have the sustained force in your life. But more than that, he says, the example was shown on the cross of Christ. The nails did not hold him there. The love of God held him there. And if we're connected to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he says, you will be congruent and consistent in your love. Well, Jesus, I'm not willing to put that weight of responsibility on me to be the example for love. He's like, you don't have to. I'm the example of love. Be humble yourself in the sight of God. Allow the, the servant attitude of, of hope to come into your heart and love someone around you. And he goes, the greatest place to start is the people that despise you the most, the enemies. I got an enemy. He wants us to be that consistent place because he knows that his love is true. And that it will produce in this life clearer definitions. Consistency. So he's the source. He says he's the example, but it, he uses us to express it. C.S. Lewis said, God always allows us to feel the frailty of human love so that we can understand the strength of God's love. We cannot depend this thing on any other person than the person of Jesus Christ. Third and finally, and I'll conclude with this, 
is it's the source, the example, but it's also the application. It's practical. Don't limit love to likeness. See, the beauty about understanding how God is the one that found us and we didn't find him, we understand that he's the creator and the initiator. That he took it upon himself in the goodness of who he is to create us and in us being the creation and the image bearers of God, he initiated reconciliation and now he sent his son to save us. Verse 9, he says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. So he didn't wait for you to say, huh, I wonder if God would love me. No, no, no. He was willing to take a risk. He was willing to extend. He was willing to put this into practice and allow the application of living it out be put on full display and it didn't matter whether or not you received or rejected it. He was going to do it regardless. But he gives us the ability to receive. Says we can't even come to Christ without the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You might think that someone invited you here, but they were just the providential person that got put in your path to get you into this place. You might have got duped into coming to this place. I hope somebody tricked you. Yeah, meet me at this address. Let's get coffee. And then they walked you over here and pumped you know, a little cup of coffee? Like, well, since we're here. God is the initiator of love. He believes that he can use us to do the same thing. There is a friend in the Bible. He's just known as an expert in the law. There's an illustration that Jesus is using and commonly known as the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 33. And this person comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, how am I supposed to inherit the kingdom of God? He's like, I'm pretty good, man. I got this thing down. He goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, love my neighbor? Um, no doubt I can love my neighbor, Jesus. I love my people. I love my friends. I love my neighbors on this side of my house. And he goes, well, who's my, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus, I bet if he was here in physical form today, he'd be on the creative team. Because he kind of breaks out into like a limerick or a sonnet and gets all thespian on him. And jumps into this in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, it says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. <laughs> when he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going by and down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the what? So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the, then it says, but a Samaritan. Let me pause for just a second here. Samaritans were a despised people. 
They were, they were what they called half-breed. They were half this, half that, and because of that, they, they had prejudices against them. He says, but. Anytime you see the word but in Scripture, just so you know, that's a nullifier. For the wages of sin are death, but. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This word pity can also be translated mercy. It says he took pity on him, and as he was going into the village, oh, sorry, go back one. I'm so sorry. That's the last of it. He took pity on him. So let me give some more depth of context here because I've heard people beat up the priest and the Levite quite a few times. So let me give you a little backstory. It says that the priest saw this man. He was naked and knocked out, okay? It says that he went on the other side. He went around to the other side and it says that the Levite did the same. Well, the backstory of the reality for the priest is that he was probably on his way home, just leaving his priestly duties where he was there for multiple weeks. He was going home to engage with his family. Now, if anyone in these duties, these responsibilities within the Levitical law was ever perceived to be within proximity of a person that could be dead, you are now unclean and have to give yourself to the ritualistic purification processes. He would have to go and show himself to his peers, shamefully bow his head, humble himself, now take himself out of the priestly rotation, which now he will not receive the food offerings which provides for his family and be shamed. And now the Levite is like the the C-team priest. They weren't ever going to make the squad but they'd let him do little things here and there. And this is speculative at best, but I just wonder if the Levite too just watched the priest and followed suit. But he says, but a Samaritan. Says he got down off his horse, anointed the man with oil. Scripturally, oil is used for a couple things, medicinal, but it's also the power of God based on the anointing. He says that he got down, put him on his own animal, took him to the inn. He paid three denarii. He says, if this is not enough, I'll be back and I'll pay for it all. Then Jesus comes back to the expert and he goes, who was the neighbor? See, here's the problem. The hang up, the expert in the law couldn't even say the Samaritan because of his bigotry towards that person. But, But don't miss this mark in this scripture. See, the way that we engage is the same way they engaged back then. Sociologists calls it groupthink. We will identify with someone and determine whether or not they're worthy of our love based on how they talk and what they look like. And the thing about this guy is he was unconscious and naked. So there was no understanding of association. How does every middle school girl talk the same, like totally like can't even. Why does every junior high boy want to wear shorts and Nike socks every day? Groupthink. You want me to keep going down the list? We can go with every age and every stage. But we limit the love of God dependent upon what someone looks like or sounds like or acts like or talks like. We are now the holders of the love of grace, of the goodness of God. And he says, do not limit my love to the likeness 
do not limit my love to liking someone. He says, love that someone. Even, even another encounter with Jesus in Luke 17, he comes in, Luke 17, verse 12 and 14, I'll finish with this. He says, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity, mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Here's the context here. These friends were lepers. They lived in colonies outside of community. Why? Because they were contagious. You know, leprosy is still alive on this earth today, and it's even in America. In the great nation of Texas, you know who carries it today? Armadillos. You can even get leprosy, but it's curable like that. But what Jesus sees is this different people group, this estranged people group, these people that everyone else rejected, this people group that had to announce themselves when they came in proximity of other people. They would have to ring a bell and scream, unclean, unclean. But it says that they stood at a distance But what did Jesus do? Jesus went the distance. He engaged with the unlovable. He gave his love lavishly. He poured it out on all people. He did not restrict. He did not limit it to a likeness. No, no. He gave it and loved them lavishly. Poured it out generously. That God so loved the whole world. That he gave. He gave. So that we could receive to connect to the right core of the love of God defined by God, the creator, the author, and the perfecter. And he gave us this power because he is the person of God. And it's practical. And we can't limit this love to likeness. We just have to be willing to be the recipients, stay connected, live this thing out loud, knowing it's his name on the line and not ours. He'll prove it every time. And then he says, do not be the bottleneck Be the blessing. Be the lover. And who do you start with? The one you got the biggest hang up with. You do not like me right now. But I love you enough to tell you the truth. And love without truth is hypocrisy. And truth without love is brutality. There's nothing brutal about the love of God and the truth of God. It's congruent. It's consistent. And it's the call for us to continue to love well, this crazy little thing called love. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads.